Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Chad Myers. I'm our adult discipleship director. I'm still here like a sticky donut. I'm around. You can't clap just patting one hand on your leg. That doesn't count. <laughs> Welcome to those of you joining us online. Shout out to my beautiful family. Didn't uh, the choir and the musicians and the vocalists do a wonderful job? Thankful for them. And Pastor Emma for the, the commemoration of All Saints Day. It's just beautiful. You know it's going to be a good morning when the special song has not one, not two, not three, but four key changes. Am I correct? Was it four? All right. Taking us places. Uh, so we are encountering Jesus as healer today. We're doing something a little bit different. It'll be a shorter sermon. We'll have some time for prayer and for healing and reflection. It'll be a wonderful time. Uh, we'll talk about healing, talk about miracles. Jeff and I were both given 20 minutes to preach this sermon. If we finish on time, you will witness a miracle. That's right. Some of you doubt the existence of God, but if we're done on time, you elbow your neighbor, say, I believe. The preacher finished on time. And there's nothing that makes me feel more mentally inferior than trying to set my alarm the night before daylight savings. Do, do, do you struggle with this as well? You know, I'm there, it's 10.30, but I'm like, but it's not 10.30, it's really 9.30, but I need to wake up at 5.30, what do I set my alarm for? You understand, you know, it's on your phone. It's like a math problem, it's like a middle school word problem. You know, Johnny needs to wake up at 5.30, it's 10.30, but Johnny's going to turn airplane mode on his iPhone, what time does he need to set his alarm? You see, I, I confused you as well. Yeah, I was confused. And then you wake up and you, did you panic a little bit? Like what, what really, what time is it? But you chose to come to the 1045 service. So you had a few hours to figure out what time it was. Well done. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you in person here today. And we had a beautiful service early this morning. Many prayers, many tears. God was in this place, is in this place. And I expect the same uh, for us today in this service. There's only a few books that I like to reread. I don't like to rewatch movies. That's not really my thing. And I don't like to reread books. Once I understand the story, I, I'm, I'm less impressed by it as I go back through it. But there are two books that I reread. I'm not saying this because uh, I am a pastor, but I do reread the Bible. Uh, because it's depth and richness and complexity, I still have yet to exhaust the meaning of one book of it, and so I, I consistently reread it. The other one is Lord of the Rings. I love that book, and if you would permit me another Lord of the Rings illustration in this sermon, uh, or, you know, I know I use this a lot, but uh, one of the things that I love about the books, and I do love the movies, and we try to get our kids uh, indoctrinated into that um, fan club, but you can't always put every detail into the movie. And that's why I love the books. And some of my favorite chapters are not in the movies at all. In fact, one of my favorite chapters comes at the end of the third installment, The Return of the King. And it is after the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And many, many characters have been wounded from the battle. And they are hurt, gravely injured. Um, some of them some of them are on their way to death, and they've been taken into the city of Gondor. And Aragorn is the rightful king of Gondor, but he has yet to take his throne. And so at the, the council of Gandalf, he dons his commoner's clothes, and he goes into the castle, and the, the chapter in the book is called Houses of Healing. And he spends all night, all night, 
bringing healing to people who are injured. And he takes what's a, a commonly known as a, a weed in that area, king's foil or athalas, and he breaks it and he uses it to go around and heal people who are wounded. And there is an old prophecy that begins to resurface at this time and the castle starts to buzz with it because the castle and the people have been long awaiting the return of the king. And the prophecy that begins to buzz goes like this. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer and so shall the rightful king be known. The hands of a king are the hands of a healer and so shall the rightful king be known. Have you ever wondered why in Jesus' ministry, a very significant portion of his ministry was bringing healing and restoration to what was lost and what was broken in a world east of Eden? It was not just teaching, it was touch. It was not merely proclamation, but presence. He was God with us. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And God longs to heal his creation. Romans 8 says that all creation groans. These pangs, that's almost unspeakable and inarticulate. It's hard to put into words. God, we ache for everything that is wrong to be made right. We ache for all that was shattered to be made whole. We have pain and we need your healing. I prayed for a young woman earlier this morning and she asked for healing in her physical body but then she began to shake and I sensed that it wasn't just the physical healing that she needed. She needed spiritual strength to stand up under what the pain in her body was doing to her soul. Can you relate? We've been in a very stressful two years. There's a heavy cloud upon us. It's messed with our equilibrium. We need healing. Maybe you're here and your marriage is estranged and you don't see a way forward. You've had conversation after conversation after conversation but you need healing. Maybe you're here, you're here and you're a child who is resentful of what happened from your parents and there needs to be healing. Maybe you're here and you're assaulted with fear or doubt, and there needs to be healing. Did you know that every Sunday we get to come together is an opportunity for us to be healed from how we've lived during the week? We're not perfect, we're saints simultaneously sinners, so when we sin, often we struggle with guilt and shame and then self-condemnation, and then we quickly go to discouragement and disheartenment and then we come in this place and we receive God's forgiveness. There's a cleansing that happens every week as we gather together as God's people. So God heals. Our passage is Mark 8, 22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, I wish I could have seen that. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. It's a brief passage. It's meant to be read in the context of chapters 8 through 10. If you have any desire for any homework later today or this week, go ahead and read carefully chapters 8 through 10 and mark a note watching for the theme of sight. Watch for the theme of sight because it starts off with a two-part healing of a blind man and it ends with blind Bartimaeus being healed like this when Jesus asked him, what do you want? And he says, I want to see. But it's more than just a physical healing. It's meant to teach us something about the disciple's spiritual sight and about our spiritual sight and how we might need healing as well. It's the only miracle that occurs in stages. The only one. That's not because Jesus was ineffective. It's because we're meant to see something greater here. And he takes him outside the village. I thought this was fascinating. Takes him outside the village. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want miracles to be spectacles. He doesn't want miracles to be spectacles. You say, well, what's going on in Bethsaida that he would take him outside the village? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but if uh, the book of Matthew is any help for us, then it says something like like this. Woe to you, Bethsaida, because if the miracles were done in Sodom and Gomorrah or these other cities in the Old Testament, they would have repented and you didn't repent. So there's something in the climate in Bethsaida that is opposed to to the working of God. There's something in the climate in Bethsaida, something in the culture that's going on that is opposed to the work of God and the ways of God. You remember that Jesus said, I I couldn't do many miracles in my hometown because of their lack of faith. So if we were to take that and try to import it into what's going on here, potentially there is a, uh, a spirit of unrepentance amongst the people. There's a spirit of unbelief, whatever it is. Can you imagine Jesus having mercy on this man healing him, but then sending him back into a crowd of mockers and scoffers. What would that have done to the person? What would that have done? And Jesus doesn't want to make that a spectacle. But we also make the work of God a spectacle in other ways. We turn miracles into spectacles when we use God's providence for self-promotion. When God's story intersects with our story and we receive healing in some way or God works in our life and then we use those spiritual stories to boost our spiritual pride. When we, and we do this as Christians, I do this myself, we're all up to this in some way, shape, or form when, because we're smart and we learn the culture and we learn the lingo and know the vocabulary. When we start to use spiritual things for self-promotion, reading the Bible and prayer and other things like that, and maybe it gets us a little bit of kudos, or maybe we want people to think we're spiritual. Now, God wants to share his story through us, but it's for his glory. It's not for ours. One of the things we see in this passage is that healing happens in community. Healing happens in community. He, he takes him by the hand. Some people bring this blind man to Jesus. He takes him by the hand. I love that. Takes him outside the village. When you look at the miracles of Jesus and you see the people in need of healing, most of the time, they're not alone. In fact, someone has brought them into the presence of God. 
Someone has led them there. Someone has dug a hole through their roof. Someone has said, the teacher will be over here in this town teaching. Let's travel and make our way over there so that he might heal you. Or someone has said, hey, Jesus, my, my daughter's sick, uh, but I, I'm under authority and commands. I know how exactly this works. You don't even have to go. You can just say it. People bring people into the presence of Christ. It happens in community. And when we pray in just, in just a few moments, we may be praying for ourselves, and that's perfectly good and perfectly wonderful. We need to experience the healing of God, and we would love to pray for you. But we also may bring someone else before God. We may bring their hand, so to speak, and usher them and their name into the presence of God. Are we those kind of people? I think we are. Sometimes we show up to the community of faith and all we have is our neediness and our brokenness and our stubbornness and our stuckness and we need someone to take us by the hand into the presence of God. And may we be those kind of people for others. Here we see right before this passage that Jesus is teaching about the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees and the disciples don't understand. And this passage is meant to be seen in light of that because he says to them, do you not understand my teachings? Do you not hear? He says, having ears, do you not hear? And having eyes, do you not see? And then he does a two-part miracle. And the point is, no, the disciples don't see clearly. They don't see Jesus clearly. They don't understand his teaching. One of my favorite professors at Covenant Seminary, uh, he helped oversee my thesis. He says, we, ha we have a two-part crisis that needs healed. We have a crisis of God perception and a crisis of self-perception. We don't fully see who God really is, and we don't fully see ourselves as we are and as God sees us, and we need healing. Our sight needs healing in those places. And right before this, you see the dullness of the, the spiritual sight, the dullness of the disciples. They don't, they see what they don't see. And it's better to admit that we see but we don't see than to be really confident that we see. I, uh, our, our second daughter, Taylor Ann, she uh, was reading in second grade and she started to get these headaches and, uh, you know, we started to kind of investigate like what's going on. Maybe her sight's bad. Maybe she needs, you know, glasses or whatever. We took her to the eye doctor and the eye doctor's like, yeah, she needs glasses. So get her glasses and she reads with the glasses and she goes to school and looks at the computer and works on that with her glasses. And then somewhere like mid third grade, like she just stops wearing them. You ever had this happen? They just, they don't wear the glasses anymore. And I'm like, hey, Tay, you need to wear your glasses so that you can read so that you don't get the headaches. Your, your eyes, you know, we went to the eye doctor. You remember that whole thing? We spent money on that thing. You know, the parents remember. The parents remember, right? And she says, she says this to me, Dad, I don't need glasses anymore. My sight's been healed. Well, okay. Now, I know you're supposed to believe your kids. <laughs> and I said, well, Tay, that's fantastic, but I'm going to need you to wear your glasses, and I'm going to need you to you know, do that so you don't get the headaches. That's what I paid for. So she continues to argue with me. We, we butt heads in a loving, fun, kind way for about six months until she has to go back to the eye doctor. And I'm like, oh, you're going to go back to the eye doctor today. Have fun at your exam. She says, I will. She's going to tell me that my eyes are just fine. And I was like, okay, have a great one. Come home and report. So she goes to the eye doctor, and sure enough, when she comes home, she's floating, and she finds me, and she says, Dad, the eye doctor says that I don't need glasses anymore. My sight's been healed. The, the eye doctor, I almost called him. I said, don't lie to my kids like that. That's not funny. 
uh, the eye doctor says, sometimes these things can work themselves out. Sometimes this happens. And it's been happening with your child. You should have believed her. Sometimes that's the natural progression of things. God makes our bodies to be able to heal themselves. That, mean, that doesn't mean God isn't there working in and through our body. He works through natural medicine. He works through the created order. But God sometimes steps outside of that and he works in the supernatural. Miracles cut against the grain. Just because we can't explain them doesn't mean it's not true. But we need a healed sight, and that healing happens in community. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what happens in your mind when you think about God. He says, we don't see very clearly. And this isn't just a, oh, I became a Christian when I was 15, and now I see, and I don't need any more healing. No, 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 no. This is an ongoing process. I remember a time in my life, it was a very difficult spiritual time. I was struggling overwhelmingly with fear, overwhelmingly with doubt. It was an incredible difficult time. And I remember kind of what, observing myself have this struggle. And I, I remember even my prayers. And I thought to myself, God, I don't see you as loving, as a loving Heavenly Father. I don't see you like that. If I'm being honest, I see you as a judge. I see you as someone who wants to punish me. I see you as someone who was out to watch my every step and keep record of when I do anything wrong. And I just remember saying to God, heal the eyes of my heart. I don't see you very clearly yet. Our spiritual sight needs to be healed. And the beautiful thing is that happens in community. It's not just a me in Jesus. It's a we in Jesus. So when you offer mercy to someone who's harmed you, when you extend grace to someone who's sinned against you, when you get to weep with someone or rejoice with someone and you give them a hug or you place your hand upon them and you're with them in presence, you are offering the spiritual healing of the community. That's how we grow in spiritual maturity. Not by myself in my private prayer closet, and a prayer closet's a great thing, but in the midst of the people of God. That's how I experience Jesus. It happens in community. Are we preaching or are we preaching? Healing can happen immediately and in stages. It can happen instantaneously. God can do anything he wants to do. You've heard of stories and maybe these stories have happened to you. You've been to the doctor, you've received a diagnosis, people have prayed, people have prayed on your behalf, you've prayed, you go back to the doctor, everything's completely different. You hear about this. This has happened to people in this congregation all the time. And the other thing has happened. The diagnosis hasn't changed, but God works in and through medicine. And then people are in remission for years, and God heals. He can heal instantaneously. He can heal progressively. My hunch is that the norm is that he heals progressively, but he can begin a work and then move it forward why does he heal in stages in this section? Right after this, this is when Peter confesses that he knows who Jesus is. And remember, all of this is meant to be read in, in, the, in the, the theme of sight and seeing and understanding. And right after this, uh, Peter says, or, or Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are like, oh, some people say Elijah, John the Baptist. And he's like, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And the idea is that, oh, Peter gets it. Peter sees. But immediately after this, Jesus starts to teach that I will go to Jerusalem. I will suffer 
at the hands of the leaders and I will be crucified and die. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. No, 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 no. you, You have that wrong. And the question is, is Peter, do you really understand your confession? Or is it a confused confession? Peter's miscalculated the cost of his confession. I think we can miscalculate the cost of our confession. You see, this happens all the time. We confess in here, we've said the Apostles' Creed, we confess when we sing, that's what this is, it's confession, it's shaping us into who we need to be. But when we come to Jesus, we don't understand the future cost. We don't understand the price. We, we get it, we hear about it, but we haven't experienced it yet. And so it's a bit of a confused confession. It's true, and yet we have to live it out. And then we experience pain, and we experience suffering, and as much as we would love to wish those things away and say, well, those aren't part of uh, the Christian life, we start to realize, oh, no, they're a part of all of life, and God uses those things, especially in the Christian life, to make us who we're supposed to be. So now they're a part of the whole kit and caboodle, and then we have to expand our eyes, expand our hearts, begin to adapt to this thing called pain and suffering and realize, oh, my goodness, this is what we actually signed up for. I had no idea. We need a healed confession. This is what gets people into trouble because they're unwilling unwilling to adapt in their confession, not with the truth, but how it gets played out in their life. And then they grow resentful towards God. You didn't work how I thought you were supposed to work. You didn't heal exactly how I thought you were supposed to heal. And then we grow bitter at God as opposed to maybe I had a confused confession And that needs to be healed. You see? Peter stood in the way of God. Peter was so sure of himself. He was so certain of who God was. He was so certain of who the Messiah was. He was so certain of who he was. And he got in the ways of God. And his stubborn will needed to be healed. And I think it happened. But it took a long time. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Peter writes this 30 years later. I'm wondering if there's not a part of him that's kind of laughing to himself as he quotes, God opposes the proud and remembers, you remember that time that I opposed God? Do you remember that time, Peter, when you rebuked God and told him he was wrong? And his will has now set under the teaching of the Spirit of God and it's become softer and it's become moldable and it's become pliable. When Jesus begins to heal our will, we begin to get more humble. We begin to take on humility, not as something far off, but as something that comes from the inside out. One of my friends defined humility as keeping your heart wide open in the midst of pain and suffering. It's a good place to start. And the more humble we grow, the more dependent we grow and we start to experience God's healing in new and large ways. God heals us physically. He heals us mentally. He heals us 
emotionally. He heals us now. He heals us in stages. Or he heals us in the future. He heals us in the new age. He heals us when we pass from death unto life and into his presence. This is All Saints Day. You say, well, what about them? Jesus is a healer, and we prayed for some of them all through this year. Some of them battled cancer, and they lost. It didn't go into remission. They're not here with us anymore. Where's your, where's your healer God now? They've experienced the greatest healing. They're in the hands of the king. And we'll be there. That's what I, I couldn't help but thinking, and if I can be transparent, I couldn't help but thinking to myself as I sat here and the names are read, your name will be up there someday, Chad. But don't be afraid. You'll be in the hands of the king. And we will be whole, and all the hurt will be restored, and all the fear will be soothed, and all the anxiety will be pure peace, and shalom. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray for those joining us online, pray for us in this room, and then we're going to have uh, different stations up here for you to come down front uh, so we can pray for you. We're, we're not any different than you. We just want to be available to you, to listen, to be a healing presence for you. This may be the beginning of a healing for you. This may be step 99 on the way to step 100 of God healing something in your life. So please don't be embarrassed. Please don't be ashamed. Uh, you can feel free to come forward and we would love to pray, pray with you and for you. But let me pray for our, our online people. I would just say this to you. Wherever you are, if you're with somebody at home, uh, uh, wherever you may be, take some time to pray with each other. Take some time to pray as a family. Take some time to lift each other up. Sit in this moment. Let's don't rush it. Let's stay here and open ourselves up to the healing of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray for those in this room and joining us online across different states, maybe even in different countries. You are not bound by time. You're not bound by space. And so you can heal anywhere. You can speak anywhere. And so Father, we open up our hearts to you. We open up our minds to you. We confess our sin. We lay ourselves bare before you, God, and say, you know us. Nothing is hidden from your sight. And we trust you and your ways more than we trust our own. We don't know what's best for us, but you do. So I pray you would heal. I pray you would help put pieces of a fragmented heart back together. I pray you would help put pieces of a fragmented mind back together. For those with layers and layers and layers of callousness, I pray you would help us drop our defenses. Help us surrender. God, for those struggling and wallowing in shame and self-condemnation, help us see you. That you don't criticize us you never condemn us. You may say hard things to us, but it's always with the tone of love. Help us see you better. Help us see each other better. 
Forgive us where we don't love each other well, where we have gossiped or slandered or withheld kindness. We do that to our own detriment and we need healing. We open up now to you, to your Holy Spirit, to your ways. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.